Well, it's good to see everybody uh, here this morning. It's a beautiful day outside and beautiful time to be in here worshiping God together as a church family and want to encourage everybody to go and be a part of their family life groups this evening, Uh, be able to worship and visit and study in a little smaller group and get to know each other a little better. So I would greatly encourage that. We have for several weeks been in... uh, the little letter of First John. Bonus point if anybody can tell me the number of sermon this is on First John. No, not you, Jamie, because you're cheating. You're looking. I already wrote it down up there. Huh? Fifty-five. No, that was Hebrews. <laughs> By my count, this is number eleven. This is number eleven. Okay. Some of you think it's been way more than that, but no, just number eleven. But one of the things that we looked at when we started talking about this little letter we call 1 John is that we do not have to wonder why John wrote this letter. He tells us very clearly, beginning in uh, chapter 2, or excuse me, chapter 1 and verse 4, he says, We write this to make our joy or your joy complete. Go ahead, Jane. Yeah, there we go. And I did, I put this up in white. I think maybe it'll show up a little better than black. Some of you said maybe you didn't see it very well. I don't know, maybe neon green. I'm not sure. But anyway, we write this to make our joy, your joy complete. And then in chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. That's kind of important. And then over in chapter 2 and verse 26, he says, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. There were some folks who were trying to lead them astray. And he wanted them to be aware about that. And then in chapter 5 and verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And so some of the lessons we saw as we first began that John wants us to know is that first of all, doctrine matters. It does matter what we believe. And he spends a lot of time refuting these false teachings. And he says, just don't believe any and everything. He says, doctrine matters. He also says, holiness matters. And that's one of the reasons doctrine matters. is because if you have the wrong doctrine, many times you're going to lead the wrong lifestyle. It's going to lead you astray to do things that you wouldn't do if you had the right doctrine. And so he says, holiness matters. You cannot say that I have fellowship with God. Live any way you want to. That's not going to cut it. And then he does talk about the fact that love matters. And then he talks about that confidence matters. He wants us to be confident. And we're going to look at that a little more this morning. But we're going to focus. Last week we talked about love a little bit. Love is essential. Love is demonstrated. Out of chapter 3, that's what we were talking about. But he'll talk more about that on in chapter 4. We'll get there in a week or so. But this morning I wanted to look at John, 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, where John writes, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. 
This is the spirit of the Antichrist. We've already talked about that. Which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and they speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the the world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Falsehood. Now we're going to focus on 4 through 6. That part, no, we're going to focus on... Yeah, four through six. That's right. Okay, we're going to talk. Focus on four through six. I got confused myself, but I wanted to mention just a minute about this testing the spirits thing. Ooh, that's kind of kind of weird, right? When we were reading that, when you were listening, you were probably kind of going, "What are they talking about? Testing the testing the spirits? What is he talking about?" Well, I think in the context of what John says, he makes it clear. It's about those false prophets he'd been talking about. How do we know if we have a false prophet among us? How do you know whether or not I'm a false prophet? Well, John says here, he was dealing with a very specific false teaching. And that was that Jesus was not really the son of God. And so John makes that pretty cut and dried. Anybody who claims that Jesus is not the son of God is a false prophet in the Antichrist. Is a bad spirit. You stay away from him. Because we have taught you that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. So we will expand that. How do you know whether or not I'm a false prophet? Chuck's been up here showing it. By whether or not what I say is true to the word of God. That's how you know. It's not whether or not I am energetic and charismatic and get your attention and all of that kind of stuff. I know. I'm hoping. But anyway, that has nothing to do with it. It has to do with whether or not what I am speaking is from the word of God. Now, in other places, the Bible also tells us there's another test. Is his life consistent with the word of God? Not only is his teaching consistent with the word of God, is his life consistent with it? Now, not being perfect, but I mean, in general... You don't want a preacher that's up here preaching and then living any old way he wants to. That ain't going to cut it. So is his word, are his words consistent with the word of God? Is his life consistent with the word of God? Now that presumes something. And most of you can already tell you know where I'm going because you've been listening to me a long time. And you know what I'm about to say. That kind of assumes that we know the word of God. How are you going to know if what I am teaching is consistent with the word of God? By knowing the word of God yourself. Not relying on somebody else. You see, when you know a little bit about something. 
It is easy for somebody then to lead you astray. You know, y'all know that, you know, my history with electricity is not necessarily good. And I know very little about electricity, but I know a little bit about electricity. So if you can't claim to be an electrician and you tap into my Teensy, teensy, bitsy bit of knowledge on electricity. You say something, I go, well, I know that's right. You know, something about the white and black wire, I don't even know. But let's just say you say it. And, and so all of a sudden, you've said what I know, therefore I'm putting my trust in you. You may not know anything about electricity. You may know less about electricity than I do. But because you had, you tapped into my, the little knowledge I had, I'm now going to trust you, which really means I'm essentially trusting my own knowledge in electricity. And you're thinking, okay, that's a good story, but what, what on earth are you talking about? If I only have a little knowledge of the Bible, if I only have a little knowledge of God's word and somebody comes in and taps into that little bit and says something, well, I know that's true. I know that's in the Bible. Then all of a sudden we maybe begin to put our trust and faith in him, but he's going to lead us somewhere else. That's why it's not enough just to know a little bit. We need to know God's word and we need to know it for ourselves because ultimately we are responsible for our own salvation, for our own knowledge. If somebody leads us astray, are they going to be punished? Yes. Didn't Jesus say something about it? It'd be better for a millstone to be tied around and thrown to the... Yeah, they are going to be punished. But if they lead us astray, are we going to face the consequences? Absolutely. Absolutely. We have to take care of ourselves. So that... Has everything to do with test the spirit part, okay? We're gonna move on from there. Now I wanna concentrate on verse four. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Chris, did you pick that song on purpose or did it just happen to fit? It just happened to fit. Yeah, because I didn't even think about it till we were halfway through the song. How great. Thou art. Well, it fits very well with our lesson this morning. You know, Mark hasn't been with us very long. Consider, you know, time-wise. Considering how long our last two preachers have been here. You know, he hasn't been here all that long. But he, have you already picked up on some of his phrases? Of course, we all picked up on get fired up, you know, very early on. But another thing Mark often says is we serve a great... And awesome God. Now that is what John is telling us here. We serve a great and awesome God. There are many forces at work against the Christian. Ultimately it's Satan. But he uses the world. He uses our society. He will use our friends. And he will use our own weaknesses. To destroy us. To destroy our souls. But as strong and as powerful as Satan is, and his forces are, the one who is in us 
is greater. Now, when we talk about one of the reasons John wrote is because confidence matters. Doesn't that instill confidence in us that the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world? Now, this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at four areas in which God is greater. Now, if I polled this audience and I said, I want everybody to write two. I want everybody to write two areas in which when you think of God being greater, this is what you think of. I'd probably end up with a hundred different possibilities. So this is one of those where, sorry, you're stuck with my four. Okay? You may have others. And they may absolutely be valid. But this morning we're going to look at these four. First of all, our God is greater than the evil in the world. It can get quite depressing hearing about all the evil and wickedness in the world, can't it? Uh, You watch the news and whatever and it just seems like, you know, how could the world possibly get any more evil? Get any more? Is it more wicked or wickeder? Huh? More wicked. All right. Well, I like wickeder, so we're going to go with that. How can the world... Yeah, so why even ask? I know. But is it even possible? It's getting so horrible. The anger, the hatred, the murder, the depravity. It seems as if Satan is winning, does it not? He is. In many ways, Satan is winning. Satan is waging a war against the souls of men and he is winning. He is taking captive the souls of men. He is destroying the souls of mankind. It appears as if he is winning and in many ways he is. But we need to remember that our God is greater. That even though it appears as if evil is winning, it appears as if Satan is winning. That God's gospel is greater than Satan. Satan can create all the havoc. He can create all the misery. He can create all the sin in the world. But God has a plan that has defeated sin. And has defeated all that Satan is doing. God's love is greater. God's plan is greater. Where once sin and condemnation reigned, now there is salvation and peace. Throw out some verses that I know you know, but we love them. Romans 8 and verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wow! The only way that that verse means anything is if we understand that we were under condemnation. If you tell me there is therefore now no condemnation for anybody who was born in the United States. Now that means something to most of you. But to me and Jew, my in-laws and some others, that doesn't mean anything. Why? We weren't born in the United States. So, what that means nothing to me. If I don't realize that I was under condemnation, then the fact that there is therefore now no condemnation means nothing to me. 
But once I realized that I was under condemnation, once I realized that I was under the consequences of Satan and sin, and now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wow, how great is that? That God has done that for me. First Corinthians chapter six, you remember Paul lists all those evil things, you know, the murderers, the adulterers and all these. None of them are going to inherit the earth. Ooh, it sounds like, you know, what's going on in our world today. You know, ooh, all this wickedness going on. None of these people are going to inherit the earth. Second winning. But he says, and such were, were some of you, but you've been washed You've been justified. You've been sanctified. Wow. God is greater than the evil and sin in the world. Romans 8 and verse 37. No, he says. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You've heard me say that before. That word in Greek begins with the prefix hooper. Hooper conquerors. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, after we get our prefix, super. Gross. Not gross as in big, but gross as in big. Okay? Huge. More than super. We are superheroes. Remember those? And now we got all the X-Men and all those kinds of Marvel and all that kind of stuff. You know, you know Batman and Superman. Right? That, that, that was pretty it. Those were, those were the superheroes that I remember. And Scooby-Doo. Uh, but, you know, and, and, and Wonder Woman, I guess. Wonder Woman, yeah. You know, and, and they, they, they were bigger than life, right? They had these superpowers. They, they could do things, you know, leap tall buildings in a single bound and faster than a locomotive and all that kind of stuff. And we just, oh, you know, that is so great. That is so super. Paul tells us that we are superheroes. We are super conquerors through Jesus Christ. Wow, our God is great. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 57, 57, he says, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it may seem that Satan is winning. And in certain realms he is. But our God is greater than Satan. So you may ask the question. Then why doesn't God deal with it all now? Why doesn't God just come and take care of everything, bring judgment, do away with all the evil, and all those kinds of things? Some of you have heard my thought on this. In history, God brings judgment when the evil threatens to overcome the... Only Noah and his sons and daughters-in-law, when there were only eight people in the whole world that seemed to be righteous, and goodness, righteousness was about to be stamped out, God brought judgment. In Sodom and Gomorrah, you remember that? God says, I'm going to rain down judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Everybody says, oh, let's not do that. What if I can find 50 people? God says, sure. 
Abraham says, uh, I know Sodom and Gomorrah. What about 40? Would you take 30? And he got an auction going on. Finally, you're down to 10. And Abraham still ain't going to be 10. And God says, no, evil is about to consume the good. Therefore, I'm bringing judgment. In Israel and Judah, as long as there was the opportunity for them to turn around and come back and serve God, God was willing to be patient. But when the evil started to overtake the good, God brought judgment. I believe the same is true today. When is God coming back? When is Jesus coming back? When evil is to overcome the good. Now, you know what that tells me? We're still winning. We're still winning. I believe there's still more good in the world than evil. That's true. Or at least the power of the good is still more powerful than the evil. Now, there will come a time. I think that's what the Bible tells us in Peter. There will come a time when evil will start to crush the good. And that's when Jesus is coming again. When God is going to bring his judgment on this world. Now that's my belief. You can disagree. But that's what I believe. And he can do this because he is greater than evil. Second point, our God is greater than your temptation. Now this makes it more personal. This makes it more practical. This makes it more experiential. How many of you as sitting there reading that we are super conquerors, that God has given us the victory, that, you know, God is greater. And, and how many of you were sitting there going, I don't feel like a super conqueror. I don't feel like I've been winning many victories. In our heads, we know and we understand that ultimately God is in control and God is greater, but that is not really translated into my personal life. We may win the war, but I am losing the battles. And I don't feel as if God is great within me. Sometimes, even though we know that God is greater ultimately and will ultimately destroy Satan, we feel we are losing the battles in our own lives. Ephesians 6 tells us that Satan has all kinds of weapons and strategies at his disposal. We've talked about that before, right? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and against the dark evil forces and all these kinds of things. And Satan has his darts and Satan has his schemes. And I'm sitting here going, I can't handle that. How am I supposed to win those battles? And God comes along and he says, you can't. You can't win those battles by yourself. That's why I have provided you a spiritual armor. The breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. All those different things are for your protection and your use so that you can stand up against Satan. As powerful as he is, our God is greater In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, he says, No temptation has seized you, but what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted 
beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. He always provides a way of escape, King James. A way out, NIV. He is not going to allow us to be overwhelmed. He is not going to allow us to be overpowered. If we are committed to standing firm, if we will look for those opportunities of escape, those opportunities of a way out, he provides us, as we said, with the spiritual armor we need. The more we allow him to be in us, the stronger we are to defend ourselves from temptation. Some of you remember, I don't even remember how long ago it was, we were, we were in Galatians chapter 5. I was going to preach on the fruits of the Spirit. Remember that? The Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Okay. And so I started, I said, okay, we're going to do that. But then as I started reading what was above that, it dawned on me, you cannot preach on the fruit of the Spirit without preaching about what Paul says about living by the Spirit. And letting the Spirit live within you and walking with the Spirit. Allowing God to be in our lives. He is our protection. He who is in us, John says, is greater than him who is in the world. Are we allowing God in us? Are we allowing his word in us? Are we allowing his mindset in us? Are we allowing his values in us? Are we allowing those things in us and they will protect us? Not from the outside in, but from the inside out. But our God is greater than our temptations. Thirdly, our God is greater than our guilt. Satan can use our past sins and actions to make us feel helpless and undeserving. There are some of you in here who feel like because of what you have done in the past, that there is no way God can really forgive you. Or if you kind of believe, yeah, maybe God can forgive me, it's by the skin of your teeth, it's barely, and but he can never use you. He barely saved you, you're lucky, but he's not going to use you. And yes, there obviously is a sense in which we are all undeserving. That goes back to where we're talking. We were all under condemnation. We are all under undeserving of God's grace and mercy. But his forgiveness is greater than our guilt. His grace is greater than our sin. It does not matter what you have done. It does not matter how far you have gone away. When you realize and you decide, I am going to come back to God. God's grace and forgiveness is greater than whatever you have done. And he will welcome you back. We've never done too much or gone too far that God's grace and love cannot reach us. Saul, Paul. Persecuted the church. Threw people in jail. 
divided families, had, had, had parents ripped from their children and thrown in jail. He calls himself, and I believe it's true, he says he was a murderer. We know he was at the death of Stephen. But I think even after that, he was responsible for the death of other Christians. And Jesus meets him on that road to Damascus. And Saul all of a sudden realizes, "Uh uh-oh, this can't be good. And he goes into Damascus and Ananias comes and says, no, arise and be baptized and wash your sins away. And I think if the story of Saul had stopped right there, if we had never heard anything about Saul ever again, if Saul had drifted into anonymity and just kind of become a, a, just a, and I hate to say this, an ordinary everyday Christian, Saul would have been amazed that God saved him. But that's not what amazed Paul. What amazed him even more is that after that, God used him. Most of the time when Paul talks about the grace of God in his own personal life, he's not talking about saving grace. He's talking about the grace that God gave him by using him as an apostle. Because it would have been real easy for Paul to say, oh, thank you for saving me and, and just me chill out till it's all over. But when God comes along and says, I have a mission for you. I have a ministry for you. I'm going to use you. Paul is like, are you kidding? Me? The worst of sinners? You're going to use? God said, absolutely. We may face earthly consequences for the sins and mistakes that we make in this life. I'm not saying that there won't be consequences for what we do. Earthly consequences. Relationships broken. All kinds of different things that may happen. But God will forgive us. And God has planned and taken care of the eternal consequences. Isn't that the story of the prodigal son? The prodigal son said, okay, I want to go back. And if I can just be a servant, that's good enough for me. Kind of like Paul. If I can just be a servant, that's fine. And the daddy said, oh, no, 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 no. When you come back, you come back as my son. And God says, when you come back, when you come to me, you become one of my children. Lastly, our God is greater than our doubt. This kind of goes along with our guilt. If Satan can create doubt that cripples us, he's one. If he can get us to question God, question our salvation, question God's love for us, he is one. But God is greater than our doubt. Remember that one of Jesus' purposes was to instill confidence in his reader and their salvation. He says, we can know, we can be sure, you can know, you can be sure of your salvation. Even though we've been doing this 11 times now, right? Still just doesn't sound right to me. Because of the way I was brought up. 
I know I'm saved. I know I have eternal salvation. Who do you think you are? What kind of prideful, boastful, egomaniac are you to think that you can be sure that you have eternal life? Well, let me tell you how I can be sure. Because it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with God. My assurance, my confidence is because, as 1 Corinthians said, God is faithful. God is faithful. And he wants us to be confident. And he wants us to understand that even though we may have some questions, we may not understand some things. things He wants us to know that we can have eternal life. You see, if Satan can get in there and really begin to work on us like it did for me for a long part of my life. Well, I don't know if I'm saved. Maybe I'm saved. Maybe I'm not. You know, today I am. Tomorrow I'm not. And it's just kind of this in and out thing. Then eventually that's going to so consume our minds that at some point in time, we're liable to just throw in the towel, aren't we? I can't take this anymore. Kind of like being in a relationship maybe with the boyfriend and girlfriend. You know, sometimes they seem to love you and sometimes they don't. And, you know, they want to be and then they don't. You know, it's this time you're just going to say, it ain't worth it. I quit. But God says, you can have a doubt or two here or there. I'll help you work through that because I am greater than the doubt you may have. Your doubt really is in yourself. Don't doubt me because I'm greater than any doubt you have. A confidence that is based in faith, knowledge, and righteousness. So when next time Mark gets up here and he says, we serve a great and awesome God. We're going to say, yeah, that comes out of 1 John chapter 4. It's right there. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Don't let Satan ever make you think that he is more powerful than God. Because our God is great. And our God is awesome. If we can help you this morning, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at AOL dot com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, We would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, 
and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.